When I was in high school, I had the dream of one day being, um, being the lead singer of a rock band. I kid you not. I kid you not. And I knew it was absolutely impossible. Like, that would never happen. In sixth grade, I was voted the quietest kid in the class. I've always been an introvert. Uh, but so this was more, um, little be known, I'm, I've always been more of a music guy than a sports guy, which sort of puts me in an odd category, maybe. I like sports, um, but I really, I'm sort of into music in high school, um, so I really couldn't sing. I can't carry a tune if I tried. Um, I played saxophone in the high school, but so to be the lead singer of the band, first of all, you have to sing. That's most important. I, um, I'm probably never going to get a tattoo. I can't grow my hair long. I wouldn't look good in leather, but here's what I would do. I would, in my room, like lip sync into the mirror like, and sing and dance and think that I was cool. Maybe I'm totally telling you way too much. You're going to like think worse of me. Maybe you've done similar things in the mirror in your bedroom. Um, but it was like rocking out time. And I thought, like, how cool would it be to be the lead singer of a rock band? Um, so I tried to learn how to play the guitar. That was the other essential thing. Maybe I couldn't sing. So I had this old electric guitar that was my uncle's probably in the 70s. I have since... Um, which we'll give away the rest. I didn't learn guitar. I took two weeks of guitar lessons from my high school band teacher. I think he knew that I was probably not very committed. It was me and my friend Aaron, and we really didn't practice. And I don't think he uh, guitar all that well, and maybe even was like, I can't even teach these guys. So it didn't last, that didn't last long, and we didn't have the patience to practice. And so needless to say, I gave up on that dream pretty quick. In fact, two years ago, my parents moved, and uh, they were like, we have, you, guitar is still in your room. And it was your uncle's, you know, and it's, I gave it to Rob Hockney. So it's like hanging in Rob Hockney, who's our, our worship leader, director here at Brookside. It's either hanging in his office or downstairs in the green room. Um, so he doesn't even use it. Sure, I'll take it and we'll hang it on the wall. Um, so that's what happened to my guitar. As I headed to college, I, I settled for being a youth pastor. I didn't settle for being a youth pastor. Truth be told, being a youth pastor is way better and way cooler than being a lead singer of a rock band. Let me just... Set, set the record straight. So if any of you have aspirations, be, go the youth pastor route. But so I moved to Omaha. I, came, I went to Grace University downtown and um, wanted to see what being a youth pastor entailed. Never had a youth pastor growing up. There was like 12 of us in my youth group. And I really liked it. I remember coming to Brookside for the very first time and saw a tribe and we had the tribe room back then. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And so anyway, all that to say, I sort of had these dreams. Like, I think sort of leading something. But so, um, so I'll never forget one day, sophomore year, I was at Grace. I was in the dorms. It was my second year being a tribe leader. And I'm living on Schmidt 4. That was the name of our dorms. Every dorm, you know, Schmidt Hall, fourth floor. So I was on Schmidt 4. And my buddy Tyler McCarty was in charge of chapel that day. Tyler really could have gone and been a rock star, rock band, whatever. He led worship. He was a lead singer sort of guy. They traveled around and had a band. Tyler is still, I think, lives in Elkhorn now. Um, he's in the Omaha area. But he was in charge of chapel that day. Tyler was way more of a leader than I was, certainly at the time. And he, he found me, and it was probably 8 o'clock or something, and said, hey, man, could you, could you like, read the scripture passage today in this worship chapel and maybe, like, say a few things afterwards? He knew I was a youth ministry major and uh, just knocked on my door. It was right with this... Uh, like, just, I, I was in my dorm room. I don't know if he'd woken me up, but it caught me off guard, frankly. And there was this moment where he just, just simply, it was a pretty simple request. Could you read the scripture passage today and say a few words after? But I suddenly felt this cold sweat over me. Like, 
I thought maybe I could lead something. Um, I, I'd always been deathly afraid of public speaking. Maybe that's a fear for you. Maybe you've had to take speech class already in high school. I hated it. And yet I'm deciding to be a pastor, seeing what this might. And, and um, so he just asks me that. And um, it was short notice. Like I said, I'd maybe taught in tribe, like maybe once at this point, sophomore year. But I was very shy, very introverted, and I hesitated to answer him. And I remember he said something basically like, Brad, it's not a big deal, but are you going to step up or not? I mean, he wanted an answer right then. Are you going to step up or not? Like, what a question, right? Mind, it was almost like time froze. I remember like not knowing what to say. It was like the song Lose Yourself sort of playing through my head. And I don't know if you know that song. It was big. I'm not an Eminem fan, nor do I like recommend Eminem. He's dark and... Yeah, right, it's totally this. That was like on the spot. But then he's like, I've got one shot, like one opportunity. What's going to happen? Am I going to step up? What if I had this song memorized? I like started, no, I don't. Um, I don't even know the song. It was a great, it would, it would have been a great opportunity, right? Um, maybe I did it, maybe I didn't. I'll give that away at the end. But it would have been, it was in front of the entire college. Um, the question was, would I take it? Was I going to step up or step back? And so as we launch into this series tonight, Stepping Up, here's my question for you just to get you thinking. Have you ever had a step up kind of a moment? Sports, maybe in theater, maybe you were on JV or on the sidelines and the coach called for you. You were way down the bench. Even if it was the last like 30 seconds of the basketball game, coach was like, hey, you whatever your name is, you'd call your, probably by the last name, right? If you were asked to join a select team for baseball or for soccer, some of you are in that camp, you play select baseball, or you auditioned and you actually got a major part in the play, and you never thought you'd get a part, you never thought you'd maybe even get a part, but you did, and now what? Are you going to step up, or are you going to have to step back? Are you going to be able to do it? Or if you got asked out by someone and that you were certain was like way out of your league, whoa. Are you going to step up or step back? And you had to decide, what am I going to do? I think, um, I really think you guys, high school is full of step up moments. In fact, even the move, I mean, I'm thinking, especially if you freshmen, but you've been through this, even the move from middle school to high school is a step up moment, right? You move up one grade and you have all these opportunities in front of you, a chance to make new friends, play sports at a much higher level. A lot of talent, take classes that are going to matter for college, that are actually going to matter. Uh, Maybe you'll take AP classes eventually. Um, You get a license. You start driving. Like I said, you maybe start going on dates. Maybe you find a girlfriend for the first time. And then it's even more crazy when you think about the move to college and the move just to the rest of your life. You guys don't even want to think about that yet. But what are you going to do? Seniors, where? That's the question right now. Where are you going to go? this fall? Are you even going to go to college? Do you feel like you have to go to college? But what are you going to do with your life? You have to decide right now, right? The pressure's on. What kind of person are you going to be? What kind of husband? What kind of wife are you going to be someday? What kind of faith are you going to have? So life's opportunities are right in front of you. Like, man, high school is just that pivotal age when all this stuff, like, you suddenly are a senior, you have to make all kinds of decisions. Are you going to step up or step back? Are you going to pursue life with Jesus as your leader, as your Lord, as your guide? Is he going to be the master of your life? Or are you going to shrink back in 
And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight and for the next two weeks. Particularly, we're going to talk about fear and how to move away from fear and how to not let fear dominate our lives. How to be people who look to Jesus Christ and see how, how he changes everything for us. He absolutely does. So how can we be those who step up and who lead and who lead well in a God-honoring way? See, I think God wants you to be a step-up kind of a person. I think he wants us all to be. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. And if you could see, if you could see your life how God sees your life, it would probably blow your mind. Because again, I think for each one of you, your lives are full of potential right now. You have all kinds of opportunities laying ahead for you. And so if you're a Christian, when you begin to understand the good news of Christianity, when you really begin to understand the gospel and what it means for you, you fully see that Jesus offers you an entirely new identity that changes absolutely everything else. It's a whole new identity. It's not just heaven when you die, although that's maybe great. It's a new identity now that starts right now if you're a Christian. It's a whole new worldview. It's a whole new way of seeing everything. But so throughout this series, here's, we're going to be looking at the life of Joshua in the Old Testament. And so tonight we're going to land in the book of Numbers. Um, in the next two weeks we're going to be mainly in the book of Joshua. Um, a lot of you are maybe familiar with this, this character in the Old Testament, Joshua. If you're reading that 365 plan Hannah mentioned here, we just came out of Numbers maybe, what, a week ago, two weeks ago? Reading in Deuteronomy right now. What I love about Joshua is this, that from what we can see early on in the Bible and early on in his life, he's not that different from you and me. Fairly normal guy. Joshua was essentially Moses' sort of protege as they come out, as they, uh, the exodus happens and they're wandering in the desert. Numerous times, the Bible says Joshua was essentially Moses' aide from his youth. Um, and he learns to step up and really trust and depend on God and become this massive leader, the leader that takes them into the promised land. And so uh, Joshua's with Moses, like I said. They're wandering in the desert. He's probably pretty young at that point. But he grew up hearing about this promised land. And if you've read through these first couple of books of the Bible, you know um, the Israelites, they leave Egypt, but they sort of, there's some disobeying, there's sort of some circumstances that happen. They end up not able to see the promised land. God says, Moses, you are not going to lead this people into the promised land. So they wander around. They just travel around in the desert for 40 years. And um, they're traveling around, and so they're, they finally get to sort of the border. And we see some of that in Numbers. Um, a lot of number, the book of Numbers is about them wandering around. Deuteronomy now is sort of Moses' um, final speech. I mean, he just like recaps everything else, it seems like, in the other four books as they approach the book of Joshua when they promised land. And so that's where we're going to be tonight. Um, if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, I want you to turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. So grab one if you need one. If you've got the app on your phone, maybe that's what most of you do. But I'd love for you to see this on your own. Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to sort of go over most of chapter 13, a little bit of chapter 14. So first two verses, verse 1. Uh, this just sets it up. So the Lord said to Moses, so they're right on the border, right? Wandering for 40 years. I, there's probably even the, the rest of Numbers. They, they still travel around, I think, after this. But the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. This is the promised land which I am giving the Israelites from each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. I'm even going to keep going a little bit. This isn't on the screens, but look at verse 3. So at the Lord, Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites, and these are their names. I'm not going to read all 12, but if you'll see, there's 12 there. Um, verse 16 says, these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. 
Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. Now, this is not the first time Joshua is mentioned in the Bible. He's mentioned a few times in Exodus. But so Joshua is one of the 12 picked, right? Huge honor, right? And Moses, these guys, um, you need to go into this new, he sort of sends them on this sort of like recon mission to scope out the land. And he says, there's a few things I want you to look for. Um, see if anyone's already living there. And then scope out sort of the land itself, up into the soil, the land, the fruit, the trees. Moses says, if you find fruit, bring it back and let us see it. Um, but if there are people there, how strong are they? We are going to conquer this land, God says. So we sort of need to scope it out. So sound enough, but here's a fun fact. Maybe you're reading the English Standard Version or some other version. And um, in verse 2 and other translations, um, it says this. It doesn't say explore the land. God says spy out the land. Send some men to spy out the land or something like that. Spy on the land of Canaan. Which means this probably wasn't this little, like, simple little, let's go find some figs and make some new friends sort of a mission. Um, spying out the land, to me, sounds a little worrisome. And so what were they going to find? So off they go. They spend 40 days exploring the land. Look at me at verse 23. We skip down a little more. In verse 21, 22, you see a little bit of what the, the 12 men encounter. They reach the valley of Eshkol. They cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. My guess is that's a big bunch of grapes, right? If you have to carry it on a pole between two people, that, uh, that place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes. The Israelites cut off there. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So they find some grapes, they find some figs, but there's also people there. And they go back to Lynn, Moses, and the rest of the congregation, right? And so they say, guys, Moses, we've got good news and bad news. The good news is the land is awesome. The fruit is amazing. Look at this fruit. This is big fruit, right? Big grapes, long two of us. And um, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. God wasn't kidding. That's the metaphor that's used throughout the Old Testament. Did anybody, when I was a kid, that would totally, like, screw with me. Like, I thought it was literal, and I was so, like, you ever play Candyland when you were a kid? And I was like, rivers of chocolate, and there's, like, you just imagine as a kid mountains of peppermint or whatever. And I'm like, it was just the strangest metaphor, a land flowing with milk. Like, what if there's actual rivers of milk, rivers of honey? Oh, my goodness. And I think, I don't know when in life I realized, like, oh, that was all just a metaphor, and it's just a really fertile, abundant land, right? But here's the bad news. Somebody, Moses, somebody's already called dibs on that land, and um, not just, like, normal people. They're giants. They're literally giants in the land. Powerful men, and their cities are strong. Numbers says it this way. Look at verses 27 through 29. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Skip verse 30. I'll come back to verse 30. 31, the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they, they spread among the Israelites, well, these guys, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We looked like insects. You know what, Moses? We felt like insects. 
maybe you've heard of the Nephilim. I'm not going to make this talk about I don't. I haven't studied the Nephilim a lot. They mention the Nephilim in, in Genesis 6. They're like giants somehow. Um, a, lot of, a lot of Christians are really fascinated by the Nephilim. But so they're like, there's giants, literally. This is crazy. We can't do this. And so here's what we find from this passage. This group of 12 leaders, and I mean, look, it, we said all of them were leaders of the Israelites. They were picked out. You guys, earlier in Numbers, census of, of all the Israelites, there's like thousands upon thousands of people. I mean, hundreds of thousands, I think. And these are like the best of the best. And they encounter the first thing that keeps us from stepping up when we come face to face with an opportunity. And what is that? It's fear, right? A new challenge, a new pursuit, a new like, yeah, you got the, you got the lead in the play. Whoa. There's fear. They were afraid. How were they going to do this? How would they survive? And so in, the, in this huge moment God is planning for the people of Israel, 10 of the 12 men step back. They don't step up. They go, there's no way we can't do this. And the more I thought about this, and you probably would agree, you guys, if I was in their shoes, man, I would have been one of those 10. Like literally, giants, they didn't have technological, like, you know, great weapons. They didn't have advanced weaponry. They were going to fight these. This was like hand-to-hand combat. I mean, they had spears. They had weapons. But I'm sure guys saw them, and even if they were the greatest warriors, were like, we're going to get crushed. You and I, I'm sure, would think the same thing. These people were probably rugged. They were ruthless. In fact, as the Israelites are wiping them out, at the same time, it's, it's God sort of enacting his own judgment on just their sheer wickedness. They were ruthless people, and they were going to have to fight them. Um, You guys, even right now in your life, you've been there, I've been there a million times before. We've, we want to step back because of fear. It's the same knot that's in your stomach when you get called into the game or you get called up to varsity or coach says, you're going, Smith, you're going in. It's the same doubt that we have about how college is going to be and can you keep up with the workload or if you struggle with homework in high school, should you even go to college? Are you going to be able to find a job someday? It's the same fear if you have when you, when you try to make new friends and you're the new person in a group or at a school and you think there's no way this is going to happen, I can't do it. And so mentally, and maybe even physically, we step right? We step back. We don't step up. I'm telling you, it's normal and that's just being human. And you and I have both done it. We've all done it. There will always be very little reasons to step back from where God is leading. And if we're not careful, the problem is many of us will go through high school stepping back from following God into things that he's perhaps urging us to step into, but simply because we're afraid. Simply because we went and we scoped out the land and we go, nah, I can't do that. Tyler, I'm sorry. I know I'm here to study youth ministry, but I just can't do that. And we give it a bad report. So that's what 10 of the spies did, right? But not Joshua and not his buddy Caleb, right? Many of you maybe have heard this story plenty of times. They came back and they gave a very different report. So I skipped verse 30. Go back to verse 30 of chapter 13. It says this, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. Like, no, 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 you guys, shut up, shut up, shut up. Everyone stop talking. He said, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. This guy's an optimist, but he's just like, we can certainly do it. Why does he say that? Skip to verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 14. In fact, 
I'm just going to read this. I don't know if I have time or not. 14 verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raise their voices. They start weeping aloud, all the Israelites. They start freaking out, and they start rebelling. We'll get there. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said to them, if only we died in Egypt or in the wilderness. They're like, we're going to get crushed by giants. You guys, this is horrible. Moses, like, let's go back to Egypt. Verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us? To this land, only let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to, said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. In verse 5, Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Their leaders are like, what do we do? These guys are rebelling. Are they going to kill us? Are they going to stun us? And in the midst of this, Joshua's the protege, right? Remember this? He's like the second hand. He's coming after Moses. And Moses is face down. In verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephthunah, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So they stepped up, right? They stepped up. They, they saw giants. They saw the same fortified cities. Were they afraid? Probably. So why did they give a different report? Probably simply because they, they like factored God into the situation. One little phrase there. Verse 8, if the Lord, but if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll give us the land. Verse 9, they're protected, gone, but Lord, the Lord our God, the Almighty God who pulled us out of Egypt, walked us through the Red Sea, he's on our side. And so the other guys focused on all the obstacles, but Joshua and Moses focused on God, and that made a difference in the world. And it changed how they handled their fear. So real quick, you guys, just think of this. What are you afraid of? Like, think of something, and it's not humans, it's not monsters anymore, you're in high school, but what's something you're really afraid of? Like, just try to think of that right now in your head. College, a job, finding a spouse someday, even though maybe that's way far off. What's going on with your parents right now, when at home, what's going on inside of you? You maybe feel awkward, you feel very alone. What are you afraid of right now? See, Joshua and Caleb knew that without God in the picture, it would always be too big. The giants would be too big. The task would be impossible. Fear would be in control. But when you factor in God, the cities shrink. The giants become not so giant anymore. And the impossible seems possible again. And even if they lose, losing doesn't seem like the end of the world. You guys, I love, remember the book of Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they go, you know what? Throw us into the furnace. And our God will save us. And you know what? Eve doesn't. I, we don't even care because our eternity is secured because we have a relationship with the one true God. So throw us into the furnace. But either way, we're fine. We're good. So Eve, who cares if we lose if the God who created us has already won? So even if he doesn't rescue us. And so it's true that 10 spies stepped back, but these two guys stepped up because they factored God into the report that they had. Here's the question. What do you see 
When you look at, at your life as a high school student right now, what do you see? What's going on deep down in your heart, in your head? What do you, what go, what's your report? What's terrifying you? What's worrying you about the future? What's holding you back in fear? You know, I really believe, um, I always sort of say, I mean, we got to apply the gospel to everything. At the root of every one of our sin issues and our fears and our pride is a lack of joy in Jesus. There's a lack of um, delighting in the gospel. And so two passages here real quick from the New Testament. You've probably heard this before, but Matthew 6, this is Jesus talking 31 through 34. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Or where am I going to go to college next year? Or if I'm, am I going to survive college? Or the weight of my parents' expectations on me is overwhelming. How can I get through this? Jesus says the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But get this, 33, I love this verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then listen to this, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. This isn't the writer of Hebrews. Um, a lot of question on who that was. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Remember this last week, Hannah talked about high priests last week, figuring out what that meant. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, because of that, because he took our death penalty for us, because he paid the price for us, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Grace there. There's mercy. You guys, our prayer, our prayer for you, for, from all of us adult leaders, your small group leaders, is that you would start to factor in God. Start to consider what God is up to in your life, that you're going through something crazy. Consider that God is up to something in your life, that he has something planned for you through all of that. Uh, look at verse, I'm sorry, th- Numbers 13, th- again real quick. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Here's my main point tonight. Um, you can do it if God will put you through it. I'm making other two main points that rhyme. But you can, if God will put you through it, you can, to- you can do it, okay? You can totally do it. Now, maybe you go, that doesn't make any sense. Of course, if God puts me through it, I've like, if I've survived, it's in the past. I, yes, I can do it. But I'm saying if, if God is with you through even like rough stuff, you can, you can like hold your head up high and have confidence and have courage because he's a God of grace. Because stepping up means seeing God in your situation. Now, real quick, here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that factoring God into your situation doesn't mean that everything will always work out perfectly. It doesn't mean you'll always make varsity. It doesn't mean you'll always get the lead in the play. Sometimes there's positions that you're ready to step up and you just won't be allowed to. It doesn't mean you'll ace every test. It doesn't mean you'll get into the colleges you maybe want to get into. It doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. And it doesn't mean that you can jump into bad decisions and assume that God wants you to do something destructive that maybe you want to do, but you know is wrong and you know you shouldn't. Factoring in God simply means that when you see a challenge, you decide that God is bigger than your fear. 
and you say, I don't care if I'm afraid. If God has me going through this, he has me going through this for a reason, and I'm going to trust that God is bigger than the outcome of this. And I'm going to push through, and I'm going to persevere. Because if God will put you through it, you can really do it. And you know that. So here's my question. Where can you start factoring in God? Maybe you aren't sure you can handle the pressure of, of serving in children's ministry here on Sunday mornings. You've never done that, but you maybe want to. You don't know if you can handle the pressure of running track this year or of passing AP Calc or whatever it is. It's too hard. It's too much. You're dealing with stress at home. Your parents are fighting. You feel like you're walking on eggshells and anything you do wrong, your parents, you just have unbelievable expectations at home. And again, how do you, I know that as a Christian, you need to honor your parents, and yet, what if you really feel like, man, things are crazy? It feels like there's no point. Guys, don't be overcome by your fears. God's in it. Maybe God's putting you through it for some reason in a way that you'll grow, that you'll persevere, and so don't count him out, and don't let your fear control you. Factor God in. Real quick, back to my story at the beginning. I'm wrapping up with this. Tyler asked me that. I maybe alluded to it already. I didn't say yes to Tyler that day. I just, I just wasn't ready. I was sort of like, I, I don't know, man. I, I just don't think I can. And, and I knew that it was, it was optional. So I stepped back, right? I, I wasn't ready. But a year later, I had another opportunity. I'd gone on a trip with some great students. We did this mission for instance in Urbana, Illinois. And, and we shared about it from the state in front of the whole college, basically. It's not a huge school. But I shared. And I remember I was super nervous. But again, there was another opportunity. Where do you need to factor God in? Because as we do this, regardless of what happens, you'll have more peace and more confidence and more courage because of the God who's with you, because of the God who goes before us. And so as we, close, as we head to small groups tonight, think of one area where, where fear is really calling the shots in your life where fear is sort of dominating you. Pick the area where you're most tempted to throw in the towel and to give up instead of pushing on and factoring in. And again, don't do it in order to get the outcome you want, but do it to put God in the rightful place in your life as the master and as the Lord of your life. And you say, God, I trust you. And I'm going to push through this because if you, God, if you have me in it, <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. Let's pray real quick. Father, I say all this, and um, God, it's so important. And God, for us as Christians, we have a whole new identity. We have this motivation behind us. God, you have our back. And so, God, we want, we want to factor you in. And yet, God, I think when I think of the gospel, and when I think of how the gospel differs from religion, God, I have to include this, that there's going to be some times, there have been for me, God, there will be times when I just cannot step up, when I have to step back, when I'm too weak, God. And what I love about the gospel and what I love about how it differs from religion is that you did it for us, Jesus. That when I couldn't do it, you could. And you stepped up and you faced death and you took our death penalty for us. You took the punishment that our sins deserve. And so eternity is secured for us. If you took the only real things that can kill us, guilt and shame and things that can cripple us, fear and pride, in death itself, God, what do we have to lose? Our eternity is here. God, we know you have our backs. And God, you want us, so many times you want to teach us something through it. And so God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for doing it when we can't. But God, what we know when we look to you, 
when we trust in you and we see that you accomplished this for us, God, we have a whole new motivation to walk without fear and to step up. God, make us Christians who will do that, who will lead in our schools, who will speak up for justice, and who will make us in a very, very dark world. God, thank you for being light to us. May we pass it on to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.